The world hey, is hey, becoming a small wait, place. Wait, wait, there wait, will wait, be wait, a hey, new wait, world. What? 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 I'm talking here. All the security in this building. What are you talking? Do you see a ring on my finger, Shivani? No, I don't see a ring on you your finger. You know why? Why? Because the Lord of the Rings ring has been stolen. I want this entire place closed. I want the whole building secured, and I want everyone strip searched. Well, I'm sorry, and I apologize, but we don't have your ring, and we've got a show to do here. Hey, the bottom line is, Legend, you know this, they're jealous. Everyone's jealous. They know they can't beat me well, for the ring. Well, when they can't beat you, they're going to take well, the gonna ring. they're going to steal it. I'm getting it a bug. You got it, Giovanni? You know who's got it? Do you no, know who's got it? No, I don't know who has it. For crying out, would you let us do our television program? Please get him out of here. Get him out of here, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of nitro our week-by-week breakdown of world championship wrestling's flagship show where each episode is viewed reviewed analyzed and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's monday night wars i am your host tim root and with me <laughs> as always is my broadcast colleague dave Amantorp. dave how are you doing this week i'm doing great i'm excited to uh Get through just one more Nitro until we hit Bash of the Beach, in which all answers, all questions will be answered, all answers will be questioned, and, <laughs> yeah. and everything in between. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to start off the top here with a little bit of a uh, disclaimer about this episode. We rec- <laughs> we recorded this episode. I edited this entire episode, uh-huh. and then I did some things. It's completely my fault, and I won't take you through the various stupid steps that got me there. Um, but I deleted the audio files, um, not like the actual edited file, the GarageBand file, but the saved audio of our of our talking uh, yes. just vanished into the ether. So uh, what that kind of necessitated based on our schedules is for us to record this the same day that we recorded our Bash at the Beach 96 episode. Mm-hmm. And we were so excited about um, working on that episode. I wanted to make sure that we had good energy. We've already recorded that. So we've recorded Bash the Beach 96. Yep. We're going back now. We're recording G- uh, July 1st, 96. And I really want to get you that Bash episode. I really want it to be great. Uh, so the idea that I had is that for this week's episode, uh, I'm basically not going to edit it. Certainly not the fine-tune editing mm-hmm. that I normally do where I try to take out uh, some of our ums and uhs and our stops and starts and some of the stupider stuff that Dave says. Uh <laughs> <laughs> which which takes up the majority of his editing time. Yeah, yeah. All these episodes are six hours long when I start, but <laughs> I'm just uh, like derp a derp derp. Um, but basically, so uh, if if there's just it's a little sloppier than normal, 
please excuse me, but I'm just trying to get this episode out to you as soon as possible because then I can really work on editing the monster <laughs> that is our Bash at the Beach episode, mm-hmm. which is looking like it's going to be around four and a half hours long. Uh, so plan those long car trips, boys and girls. Yes, plan accordingly. Uh but yeah, I, I without going too much into it, um, the Bash of the Beach one is, I think, very, very interesting. And that there's going to be information in there that you probably didn't know going into it. Even if you do know the event itself very well. Oh, the, you, you think you know. Oh, you, you don't even. You arrogant prick. <laughs> God, geez, I am going to have to edit this now. <laughs> right. I, I do tend to insult the audience a lot for some reason. I don't know what that is about. This will be known as the arrogant prick episode. <laughs> um, the other thing to keep in mind is uh, because we were working on our Bash at the Beach episode, at least I, I can't say for you, you may have gone and revisited this. I have not watched this Nitro episode now mm-hmm. in like three weeks from when we first reviewed it. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I didn't either. Yeah, so I, I tend to take very extensive and complete notes, so I'm going to be going off those. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I just I, I want to apologize. For, for Hopefully this episode's good, is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, honestly, I would have skipped it, but I'm, I'm a completionist, and I would have felt weird if we, re- if we recorded reviews of all the Nitros but one right. at the very end. That would have bugged the shit out of me. Yeah. So you got it. And, and knowing that it's like kind of out of laziness that we didn't go back and do right, it again. Right, right. <laughs> and, and like I said before, um, the thing about like podcasting and recording, it's just bound to happen at some point or another. Yes, yeah. You have to go back and re-record, so I, I wasn't like all worked up or anything oh yeah let it be known that dave was a good friend and did not chastise me for losing like two and a half hours of his time right no it just it like these things are bound to happen and i was just like let's just go back and let's just take care of it and let's just move on all right so let's do that indeed and we begin this week which is july 1st 1996 where we are live from the u.s air arena in landover maryland in front of seven thousand fans about four thousand of whom paid Uh, for around a total of $60,000. We begin this week with Tony Schiavone, who is apparently having trouble getting his cue as he starts this week with, You, you are looking live. (laughs) You are looking live at the Cap Center. (laughs) (laughs) Tony is joined this week by Larry for the first hour of the show, and Bischoff and Bobby will take over an hour too. Tony hypes the Bash at the Beach, which is now only six days away. The crowd boos something going on off camera, and as Larry starts babbling about satellite technology, (laughs) we see the source of the crowd's ire is DDP, and he walks into frame. DDP grabs a hot mic that happened to be lying conveniently nearby. It's like like on the floor or something (laughs) like that. He just picks it up. And says his non-prestigious non-title of Lord of the Ring has been stolen. He wants the arena sealed and searched. DDP is surprised that this could happen with all the extra security in the building, which, yeah, how did you get to the announcers who are supposed to be the ones most closely guarded <laughs> right. since it was an announcer that was attacked <laughs> by Nash? Makes no sense. Ah, <laughs> oh, the barricades. We did protect against the barricades. And this isn't the first time that this has happened where an, a wrestler has still gotten to the announcers, and it is not the last time. <laughs> right. We go through replays of the end of the show last week where the Outsiders distracted the babyfaces, allowing Harlem Heat to steal the titles from Luger and Sting. There were... Ru- There are rumors that the Outsiders are in their building tonight, and Tony wonders if the third man will be with them. Larry declares that there will be a new world order in professional wrestling Hmm. come this Sunday. And we will have a lot to to say about that, and you may have actually seen some of the goings-on on on Twitter uh, involving some 
uh, me and Eric Bischoff and, and his podcast and right. the name, uh, who named the NWO. So we'll get into that a lot, not in our next episode. But next on our show tonight, Steinerize plays and out comes Rick and Scott to Pyro and Barks. I also wanted to mention that uh, that Larry was uh, kind of uh, chastising the outsiders as being cowardly for not showing their poker hand. Yes. Which, when you think about playing poker, you don't show your hand before it's played. You're not? I'm so brave that I play poker <laughs> with my cards facing the rest of the table because I'm not a yellow-bellied coward. <laughs> and, in fact, he doesn't even look at his cards. <laughs> Looking at your card is for fucking wusses. And, and also, it's just, it's, I also mentioned it for the fact that, like, throughout the show, they keep coming back to this whole poker hand yeah. analogy that, from the beginning, doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, it's just, if it, it, it you feel like they should move on, but Larry just doesn't want to move on from it. Harlem Heat come out next with their new title belts. Booker T comes out once again on his cell phone. Booker and Stevie take turns shouting at the camera as Tony runs down some of the card for this evening. Macho Man will be facing Greg the Hammer Valentine, yeah, you heard that right, <laughs> wow. who's returning to WCW. The Giant is putting his title on the line against John Tenta. The Horsemen will be in an eight-man tag, and we're going to get a special look at Rey Mysterio Jr. Wow, implications here, because in theory, if John Tenta wins tonight, his match on Sunday for against Big Bubba will be for the championship. Wow. I mean, if he does win, which he won't. <laughs> I mean... Not to spoil it, but John Tenta is not going to defeat the Giant tonight. Booker and Scott Steiner start things off, thank God, as Scott lock, <laughs> locks on a wrist lock before a fireman's carry takeover. Larry disparages the Outsiders and again, claimed to, and again claims to have invented the human game of chess inside the ring. <laughs> Steiner is in control with some shoves and a shoulder block, but Booker blocks a hip toss and hits some knees to the gut. An Irish whip sends Steiner into a corner, but he gets a boot up as Booker charges and follows up with a belly-to-belly and a press slam. Scott clotheslines Booker to the outside, which brings in Stevie Ray, who is quickly dispatched by Rick Steiner. The Steiners pose as the crowd barks, and we go to commercial. (laughs) When we return, all four horsemen are sitting at the VIP table with their coterie of women standing behind them. In the ring, Stevie is in control, sending Rick to the mat with a clothesline. He lays in with clubbing blows, but Rick reverses an Irish whip and sends Stevie into the corner chest first. Stevie Ray bounces back out of the corner, and Steiner catches him with a very nice German suplex that looks super impressive on the big man. Rick hits a clothesline and goes for a pin, but Booker breaks it up. Rick tags in Scott, who tries to turn a hip toss into a rever- who tries to turn a hip toss reversal into a backslide, but Stevie over rotates, and there's no count. Steiner hits a belly-to-belly suplex as Larry says that the Steiners are masters of suplexes who suplex each other all day long, (laughs) which both manages to make suplexes sound not that devastating and also makes the Steiners sound weirder than fuck. (laughs) That's just, meanwhile, the Steiner household just (laughs) suplex, suplex, suplex. They keep losing matches because they're so exhausted (laughs) from suplexing each other. Stevie thumbs the eye, which causes Scott to tag in Rick and Stevie tags in Booker. Colonel Robert Parker wanders out, holding his wallet, occasionally pointing at it and muttering to himself with a cigar in his mouth. (laughs) Is he the one who is on the other line with Harlem Heat, wonders Tony? In the ring, Booker tries a leapfrog. You know, I didn't think, why would Harlem Heat be talking to him on the cell phone when he's in the building? (laughs) That seems weird. In the ring, Booker tries a leapfrog, but Rick catches him, sort of, and awkwardly drops him on his shoulder. A clothesline turns Booker inside out. Cut to Robert Parker, who says, 
Twinkle Eyes is with me. I know it. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Booker gets a big wheel kick and heads to the top rope where he nails a twisting crossbody for a two count. A scoop slam lays out Rick and Book heads again to the top rope, but Rick is already on his feet and the Harrier Steiner nails some punches and then a second rope belly to belly, which sends Shivani into an orgasmic fury. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Rick covers Book for a two count and brings in Scott. Scott gets what I guess you could call a butterfly powerbomb, uh, which gets a two count. Back on their feet, Booker reverses an Irish whip, and as Scott hits the ropes, he's kicked in the back by Stevie Ray. Booker takes advantage of the opening with a big super kick, or mafia kick, as it's presently known in WCW. Right. Rather than go for a pin, Booker tags in Stevie, who catches Steiner with a power slam and a standing elbow drop for two. Stevie gets a scoop slam for two and tags Booker back in. Stevie lays out Scott with a backbreaker, and Booker comes down on the prone Steiner with a top rope splash, but Rick breaks up the ensuing pin. Double clothesline spot, and Nick Patrick starts a standing 10 count. Scott makes the tag to Rick, and Booker comes in illegally so Rick can get his hot tag. Rick's hot tag is punches to each man, then each guy gets a super lazy scoop slam, followed by a clothesline. (laughs) Rick gets a power slam on Booker and goes for a pin, but Stevie Ray breaks it up. Scott comes in, and Rick and Stevie Ray head to the corner where Rick hits some punches. Nick Patrick is with them, and Tony claims that they're the legal men. But wait a minute, Stevie Ray was never tagged into this match. (laughs) He is not the legal man. Whoops. Scott hits a Frankensteiner on Booker, where his own head clearly hits the mat first and hardest. (laughs) He goes for a pin on Booker, but Tony says that Booker is not the legal man, and I'm not really sure if he is anymore. I've lost all track. I I think Booker is the legal legal man, but Scott is not, and apparently he forgot after hitting his head so hard on the canvas earlier. (laughs) That's that's reasonable. Stevie Ray breaks up the pin, and Rick sends him to the outside. Rick then hits a top-rope bulldog on Booker and hooks a leg for a pin, but Nick Patrick is looking outside at nothing. I, I have no idea what he's looking at. And Rick immediately gets up from the pin as if pinning him was a mistake, because right. I don't think he's legal, or the guy he's pinning isn't legal. I, I'm not sure. Tony and Larry abandon all pretense of knowing who the fuck is legal and what the hell's happening, <laughs> and based on Patrick's pretending to look away and the way Rick abandoned his pin, I don't think anyone in this match has a clue anymore. Right. Scott gets Booker up on his shoulders for the double-team bulldog, and maybe what happened was Rick hit that second rope bulldog early when it was supposed to be a double-team one, and then he realized during his pin that he fucked up the spot. I I don't know. And certainly it's, like I said, been a month since I saw it, so I'm not going to get to the bottom of it now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) With With Patrick distracted by Stevie Ray, Colonel Robert Parker nails Rick in the back with his cane, unseen by Scott Steiner. Stevie Ray charges Scott, who drops Booker from his shoulders. This allows Booker to cover Rick behind Scott's back for the 1-2-3 victory. Larry puts two and two together and realizes that Parker was the one Harlem Heat has been talking to on the phone. Oh. Except, I swear to God, on Nitro last week, they said that it was Sherry, which wouldn't make sense because she got fired in February and we haven't seen her since, but they said on Nitro that they had been talking to Sherry uh on saturday night but i also watched that saturday night and sherry wasn't on it so i don't know what's happening with the storyline and i don't care (laughs) also also and perhaps most importantly i do not care (laughs) right booker t grabs a bottle of water on the outside of the ring and takes a drink before either selling exhaustion and collapsing to the ground or clumsily tripping over like an idiot and i could be convinced of either one (laughs) right 
It looks that Parker is now managing Harlem Heat. It's already a little questionable having a guy whose gimmick is essentially Southern Plantation owner tell a couple of black dudes what to do, uh, but it is leagues better than the original gimmick that the uh, Brothers Huffman got upon entering WCW in 1993. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't heard that infamous story, uh, Booker and Stevie Ray were originally portrayed as prisoners who came to the ring in full shackles. They were supposedly brought to WCW by Colonel Robert Parker, who won ownership of them in a card game. Huh. Uh, that was only done at a couple of house shows and almost made it to TV, but luckily someone was like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> right. And it never made it to air. <laughs> and also, I mean, some some years have passed by since then, and I mean, to me, because I didn't immediately kind of come up to the idea like the the racist factor there yeah um but like the like harlem heat's a pretty established hey team now colonel robert parker is pretty established as well so i don't i personally i don't see an issue with this especially since it is continuing i i think it's going to be more about like the colonel robert parker sister sherry partnership sure and like they're sharing like uh they're the people that they're managing so but that's also kind of a problem to me because Harlem Heat's so good, they shouldn't be second fiddle to their manager's love story. Yeah. But, I mean, this is a time in WCW when almost every heel has a manager of some sorts. Right. That's just kind of their standard. So, um, but, I mean, either way, I don't think Harlem Heat's going to really complain about it because they're the tag team champions again. So, and, uh, yeah, like I've I've said before, it's a real big coup for uh, Colonel Robert Parker because he's inheriting the team that already is tag team champions. Yeah, why do they need a manager? <laughs> right? Hey, make sure we're still champions, I guess. <laughs> uh, this match was pretty good until the mess at the end, and I, um, you know, I didn't have a, I don't remember having any major problems with it. It, it seemed mm-hmm. fine, um, but again, the ending was a real clusterfuck. Uh, it's, a, it's a good match to start off the show with because no matter where you're going, the Steiner brothers are going to be over. And, That's very true. And their style of wrestling is always over the fact that they just they muscle up and suplex the crap out of people all the time. So it's like it's a good way to get the, the crowd going um, for a nitro. All right. Well, with that, Tony tosses it over to Mean Gene, who is now alongside the horseman at the VIP table. Thank you, Tony. It looks a little bit like Sheik's Palace Royale. I am joined here by the four horsemen, Steve McMichael, of course, the nature boy, Ric Flair, Chris Benoit, and the enforcer, Arn Anderson. I am also joined by woman, good to see you, my dear, the lovely Elizabeth, and Deborah McMichael. Later on tonight here on Nitro, as you know, Deborah, your husband's going to be in action along with the four horsemen in a gigantic eight-man tag. I want to just take a quick second and go back to recently on Nitro, when a couple of these gentlemen attacked Joe Gomez and his partner at the time, the Renegade, they took him apart. The match never even got off the ground because all of this took place back in the locker room area. Now tonight, your husband is gonna be in action with the the horseman. Then the Rock and Roll Express are also gonna be part of it. And Deborah, right now, what's your sense of all of the excitement that's going on with the horseman and yourself? I don't know, you know, what can I say? I think my husband is one of the best athletes I've ever played. He played 15 years of NFL. And I'm a bit high maintenance, I hate to admit to that, but I think he has a possibility to make more money here than he ever did in the NFL. All right, Deborah, thank you. I, I don't know if she was at the lake this weekend, but 
Elizabeth, you seem to be having a, a good time at somebody else's expense here at World Championship Wrestling. I'm having a wonderful time, and don't worry, girls, there's plenty of money. We all know where that came from, and so oh, does he. Please, yes, boy, you are rubbing it in. Woman, what woman? Yes, woman. Woman, you are. You know, Elizabeth, we need to tap that source of yours. We need that full-time driver. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm sure that can be arranged, and yes, there is a lot of money. Arn Anderson tonight, the Rock and Roll Express, Joe Gomez, and the Renegade going up against the four of you. No, Gene Okerlund, what you don't see sitting before you is the Supreme Court. But what we do do is run the professional wrestling world. Tonight, at full strength, for the first time since the middle part of the 80s, the four horsemen come together. I told you when we got the full strength, heads were gonna roll. Tonight, there will be a visual aid. Chris Benoit. You're looking at the man, the crippler. Silent, but violent. All right, let me swing over to the end. Steve McMichael, you seem to be absolutely radiating tonight. You're happy to be a horseman. They're all together. Oh, my friend, everybody says, how could you do it, Ric Flair? Well, let me tell you, brother, I played for CDR in Chicago. And just like Deborah said, my friend, money makes the monkey dance. All right, uh, I don't know if I want to talk about the monkey or the grinder, but Ric Flair, I should caution you, the macho man Randy Savage is in the building tonight, and he is being restrained right now before his match. Macho! What you gonna do, brother? Because of the infamous words of Double A, what's causing all this? Woo! Thank you very much, gentlemen. Later on tonight on Nitro, the four horsemen in an eight-man tag with the Rock and Roll Express, Joe Gomez, and the Renegade. Stay tuned. We're on TNT, totally live from the U.S. Air Arena in the nation's capital. More coming up. I don't know if Gene has been asked to kill time or what, but he introduces all seven people sitting at that table by name. <laughs> Gene takes us back to the June 10th Nitro, where Flair and Arn took out Joe Gomez and the Renegade backstage before their scheduled main event bout followed up by a clip of Arn and Benoit defeating the Rock and Roll Express last week after Mongo interfered on their behalf. Gene asked Deborah what she makes of all the excitement going on right now with the horsemen and with yourself. <laughs> and also with yourself. What a question. <laughs> I don't know. What can I say, says Deborah. Ooh, strong start. <laughs> Deborah says her husband is one of the best athletes to ever play and that he played, quote, 15 years of NFL. She admits that she's high maintenance, but she's happy that Mongo has had the opportunity to make more money here than he ever did in the NFL. And okay, she stuck the landing. Yeah, because I love, I love they they. I love when wrestlers were rich. They were rich and famous and made a bunch of money, mm -hmm. and it was great. And instead of this thing now they do in WWE a lot, where like these wrestlers would be destitute without this job that the McMahons have given them, and at any point they could be fired by Stephanie McMahon, uh -huh. and they'll have nothing. Right. No, they should be rich. They're star. They're star athletes in a in a major sport. Yeah, you know that's the idea we're supposed to be working with. Yeah, they <laughs> WWE always gives you the idea like if they fired the Big Show, the Big Show would be on the streets. Yes, <laughs> as if, if as if he wasn't like one of the like 
eight wonders of the, wonders of the world sort of attraction. A multi-time la- world champion <laughs> who's had a twenty-year-plus career <laughs> right. in this industry. No, no, but I, I agree. I think I like the idea, uh, especially for the heels to be like, "I'm rich yes. and famous." Yes. What do I think about this match? I don't care. I'm rich and famous, so whatever. <laughs> Gene thanks her and says, quote, I don't know if she was at the lake this weekend, and I have no idea what he means by that. I can only imagine it's an inside Absolutely, reference yeah. that he decides, like, I'm going to share this with the entire world. Gene must be feeling brave this week, as his next question is for Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> he, he asks her about enjoying a good time at someone else's expense, and Liz does a not terrible job of saying there's still plenty of money and... We all know where that came from, much to Gene's disgust. <laughs> you. Gene tries to formulate a question for woman, but instead he just repeats the word woman about eight times before she just starts her line. <laughs> woman says Liz needs to tap her source of cash again as they need a full-time driver. I'm sure that can be arranged, and yes, there is a lot of money, replies Gene for some reason. <laughs> It's so weird the way he inserts himself into their affairs. It's like it's like uh, they have a script for the seed, and he memorized like all the lines. Yes, so yes. He just he's like, I'll just say the stuff for Elizabeth. Gene moves on to Arn, asking about tonight's big eight man match. Arn tells Gene that what he doesn't see is the Supreme Court, but what they do do, haha, <laughs> is run the professional wrestling world. The horsemen are at full strength for the first time since the mid-80s, and tonight, heads will roll. And if you're wondering, uh, I was wondering, like, which horsemen have come since the mid-80s that might be hurt by that comment. So here's a list of horsemen since 1988. Uh, You've got Lex Luger, Barry Windham, Kendall Windham, Hiro Matsuda, Michael Hayes, Sting, Sid Vicious, Paul Roma, and Brian Pillman. Now, I agree the Horsemen probably haven't been as prominently featured uh, in quite some time, but yeah. I, that's like, there's some good names on that list. <laughs> yeah. Wait, but, Ke- what, Kendall Masuda? Kendall Wind- Kendall Will, Kendall Windham, Barry Windham's brother, is a guy named Kendall Windham, and then there's a different guy named Hiro Matsuda. He- no, that's the one I was wondering about, because that- Yeah, there was a time where they had a Japanese guy, and they changed their name to the Matsuda Corporation. Oh, <laughs> Cool. I'm not super familiar with it. I was just reading about it on Wikipedia. It could have been some sort of playful edit that I've now entered as fact into my podcast like an idiot. But <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we'll have to Google the Matsuda Corporation or something. I'll do it later when you're calling a match. <laughs> when you're when you're not paid attention. <laughs> Benoit calls himself silent but violent. Mongo is much calmer than his other recent promos and says that working for Flair is fine as he worked for seedier elements in Chicago before telling Gene that money makes the monkey dance. (laughs) Gene warns Flair that Macho is in the building being restrained from coming out to attack the horsemen. Flair laughs it off and says in the infamous words of Arn Anderson, what's cause in all this? (laughs) Woo! Uh, That's a line that Flair used to drop in promos a lot, what's cause in all this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He he just liked it. Usually, I think the reference is like us with our big sexy muscles and man penises <laughs> <laughs> or or just like that they are the most powerful force in wrestling so yeah. like if anything is happening it's because we're making it happen right right, right. but i also like the fact that uh uh gene okerlin gives a lead-in for the nature boy rick flair who doesn't need a lead-in right but has nothing to start off woman with <laughs> <laughs> w- 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 woman woman w- woman 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 
Uh, we get a commercial and a glacier promo. Blood runs cold. It's so yeah, my my blood's cold just thinking about it. <laughs> Out next is the Disco Inferno with his gold record as the announcers talk about the Outsiders and speculate whether they brought the third man with them tonight. Disco gets a mic and demands the music be cut. He asks the crowd if they want to see him dance. No, we don't. We want to wrestle, declares Shivani, <laughs> apparently challenging him to a match. <laughs> that does sound like a challenge. <laughs> Disco asks for his music, but Kurosawa's music plays instead, and he's apparently going to be a babyface for this one. Uh, he kind of glad hands his way to the ring. Mm-hmm. And I think, if I remember right, in our original recording, you pointed out that when he becomes a babyface, he actually lets some facial hair grow, like the opposite of what a babyface normally does. Or no, I thought that he shaved. Okay, whatever. <laughs> who who can know these things, Dave? Right. No, um, the, the thing I pointed out is that, that Disco Inferno, when he wants his music to come on, he's always interrupted by, like, the least exciting oh, yes, music. Oh, yes, yes. Because it was Kurosawa and and Joe Gomez was another one that, in, that interrupted him. They need, some, they need someone that has a little bit more, like, Steiner Brothers or, like, uh, I wouldn't think, well, I wasn't going to say the Road Warriors. They haven't been around in a while, but... No, it's just like the least interesting, and and with guys that are like either borderline faces or are baby faces tonight. Sure. Uh, so Tony tries to get over the idea that uh, Kurosawa is a good guy by calling him uh, one of our most exciting international athletes, and here to call all the action of this one is our own exciting international athlete, Dave Amantorp. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait, from which nation am I from now? The international one. Uh, how about the Gates of Fate? Yes, <laughs> done. The nation of the Gates of Fate. Okay, uh, oh, oh, and by the way, sorry, uh, Hiro Matsuda like, managed Ric Flair for a while, mm-hmm. and they s- renamed the horsemen during this period the Yamazaki Corporation. Okay. I think this is, you know, there was a lot of, like, in the late 80s and early 90s, a lot of fear of Japan that they were going to be taking our jobs with all their technological innovations. Oh, yeah. Someone's always taking our jobs. That's mm. always what we're fucking mad about. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead and call the action. Please. Uh, I also was going to mention that when I looked up Mitsuda, it says that he trained Hulk Hogan, the great Muda, Paul Orndorff, Scott Hall, Lex Luger, Bob Orton Jr. And Ron Simmons. Wow. That is quite a lineup. Is he? I wonder if he's the one then that supposedly broke Hogan's leg in his like first day of training. Uh, I'll look up that story. You? No, it, it says it right here. Yeah. Oh, okay. He was very tough on him. <laughs> that they describe that as being very tough on him by he, breaking his leg. Well, I think I think it's because Hogan's version is that he had his leg broken, but that's like Hogan's version of anything. Yeah. Like, is that what really happened? <laughs> it says. He was impressed by his display of guts because he came back after he <laughs> Crazy. Anyway, uh, so when Kurosawa is coming out to the ring, I noticed that the horsemen were gone. So they were only there for, like, the token appearance. They mm-hmm. didn't really st- sit and have any hors d'oeuvres or anything like that. <laughs> so this match uh, starts as typical uh, Nitro match start with a collar and apple tie-up, from which the two wrestlers exchange a series of wrist locks. Uh at that point, Disco Inferno hooks the top rope with his arm, causing a break. The two men taunt each other before the series is repeated. Colin Elo tie up, wrist locks, and Kurosawa gains the advantage by hitting a crescent kick. Disco Inferno then pleads off as Kurosawa does some martial arts moves, which is just, you know, kind of like hand gestures and things like that. Um, 
then Disco Inferno realizes, hmm, maybe the strategy now is to mimic my opponent. Maybe he'll appreciate the flattery. Yeah. But this does not deter Kurosawa, who chops Disco Inferno down before unloading with standing leg kicks. He whips Disco into the colonel, the corner, and hits a running back elbow. I just pictured Colonel Sanders. <laughs> For some reason, not even Robert Parker, who is a colonel in WCW. I pictured Colonel Sanders. Because he's the colonel. <laughs> right. Uh, so he whips Disco Inferno into the colonel, who falls off the apron, and then he hits a running back elbow. Disco Inferno rolls out of the ring and kicks the steps in frustration, then pretends that it hurt his foot. Oh, the comedy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love This it. man's in a championship match in six days. <laughs> right. I, I love Disco Inferno, but even that is, like, too over the top. I mean, that's so over the top. Diamond Dallas Page, well, Diamond Dallas Page would still do it, but um, that's a little bit over the top for me. However, back in the ring, and Disco is begging off again, only this time he attacks with a kick of fl- a kick and flurry of punches, suggesting that Disco Inferno was pretending to be injured, didn't really get injured with that kick. His Irish whip, however, is reversed, and Kurosawa hits a Samoan drop. More chops and a kick to the chest before Kurosawa hits essentially uh, Seamus's white noise. Yeah. But is distracted when Disco Inferno's music starts playing. Uh, I guess that's his finisher, because isn't that like Tony after that goes, that's it. That's his move. Right. So yeah, I didn't know Kurosawa had a finisher, but yeah, I don't. We haven't seen him win very often to know what his finisher yeah, that's is. A good so point. if he says it's his finisher, I'll, I'll <laughs> go with Who am it. I to argue? Right. <laughs> So we have Disco Inferno's music playing as a, a very average-looking guy in, a, in like the new Elvis outfit walks down to down the aisle as the disco ball drops. By the way, at this point, when the music starts playing, Kurosawa starts yelling at the referee as though the referee can do something about it. <laughs> yes. Uh, now Kurosawa decides to start yelling at guy in the in the aisle. Which gives Disco Inferno the opportunity to, to swing the disco ball at Kurosawa's uh, back. Slowly swing it. Yeah. Who sells it like death upon him before the pinfall victory. And they are quick to go to the commercial immediately after that as though they were immediately embarrassed by yeah. that ending. <laughs> this is how Disco gets a win to look strong heading into a championship match (laughs) is with some fat Elvis impersonator and nailing someone with a disco ball. It's so stupid. I hate it. And, and the other thing to, to realize is like someone had to start up that music for him, right? Someone had to drop the disco ball for him. So we're talking about like three, four, a dozen people. I don't know. Helping him win this match. (laughs) It just, you know, and it's just, if Disco Inferno is going for uh, a championship and he clearly has been losing like all of his matches up to this point, he should get a pretty straightforward victory to at least give you the idea that he can win a match by himself and not this just way overly orchestrated, like over the top way of beating Kurosawa, who is a, a great wrestler, goes on to be a great wrestler in Japan, but is not a great wrestler in WCW. Yeah, the man is a great wrestler. The character sucks. Yes. And has a no nothing in his future. Yeah, and he, he has not shown, like, it takes a lot to beat him. Right. Uh, we get a commercial, and up next, we're told, is DDP, and we see a clip 
from the June 29th episode of Saturday Night where DDP was stomping the crap out of Scotty Riggs until Buff <laughs> jumped in to save his partner, giving DDP the DQ victory. And I really only mention it because it's interesting. I noted this week uh, they changed the bumpers from being like pre-recorded in, uh, promos from guys like oh, backstage. Yep. They've changed it to now being like clips from past episodes or other shows that give us context for what matches we're going to be seeing next. And that I, I like it. I, yeah. I liked the promos before. I didn't have a problem with them, but mm-hmm. I like this too. They're, they're both fine ways to use your bumpers. Yep. When we come back, DDP's music plays and we see him at the top of the entrance ramp. The camera pulls in and he appears to be shaking down some production assistant to see if he stole the ring. He similarly harasses some photographers on his way to the ring, checking them to see if maybe they've stolen it. Larry says that he understands as he's had three Rolexes mysteriously disappear from locker rooms over the years. <laughs> and you know what? Around that third Rolex, that's on you. Stop leaving your Rolex in the locker room, you dumb idiot. <laughs> right. And, and also, I was going to mention that uh, I, rep- I appreciated Larry Zabisco's restraint at this point because it seems like it would have been very easy to start accusing like a minority group yes. of being behind that. But, oh, uh, yeah, like some of those luchadors probably stole. You can easily <laughs> picture him saying that. Right. So <laughs> I don't I don't I just like the fact he didn't say that. I'm like, good for you, because I, I kind of <laughs> had like that that feeling in my stomach like, oh, here we go. <laughs> As DDP gets in the ring and divests, we go to split screen so we can get a promo from Hacksaw Jim Duggan. All right. Standing by in the locker room area, the man who will face Diamond Dallas. In a Lord of the Ring tape fist match, he's even blamed this guy. Let's hear from Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Do we have to? Yes. Don't worry about your ring. Don't you worry about Hacksaw Jim Duggan stealing your ring. I don't wear no earrings. I don't wear no necklaces. I don't wear no rings. What Hacksaw Jim Duggan does is carry a two by four and a roll of tape. So Paige, if you want your ring, look somewhere else, tough guy. Hacksaw cuts a short promo about how he doesn't wear any jewelry. And though there's definitely some implication that DDP is uh, less than manly, if you get my drift, <clears throat> this is miles more subtle than Sting's recent promo about what a gay fruity fruit gay Stephen Regal is. <laughs> I'm I remember that. That's like his, <laughs> his catchphrase. <laughs> uh, though one does have to wonder if Hacksaw detests wearing rings so much, why is he challenging for <laughs> DDPs at the pay-per-view? Larry asked Duggan if uh, he. Larry asked if Duggan had a point, and Tony defends the babyface, saying that he did. The point is, he didn't steal the ring, or did he? <laughs> I and I think we've we mentioned it before, but like. Uh, stealing a ring would be like a heelish act for a face. Yes. Which knowing Jim Duggan and being like under the tutelage of Hulk Hogan is exactly what yeah, he would do. Yeah, the heel school of baby faces. <laughs> right. All right. Well, here to call all of the action is our own ring wearing guy, <laughs> Dave Amateur. It's been a long day. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we so we have DDP versus Scotty Riggs, and the bell sounds as DDP is quick to take his frustration out on Scotty Riggs, beating him up in the corner before shouting "My ring!" right in his face. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> he does it at one point when he's Irish whipping him. He Irish whips him away, yeah. and as he's running away, just DDP is shouting after him, "My ring!" <laughs> 
A Riggs Irish whip sends uh, him. Riggs tries for an Irish whip and is reversed and sends him back chest first into the same corner, and DDP follows up with a side suplex. Page then spits on him before laying boots <laughs> to the American male. So, obviously, that's the guy he thinks stole his ring. <laughs> I would assume, by the way he's treating him, he thinks yeah, he stole his yeah, ring. Yeah, sure. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention beforehand that um, you can when Scotty Riggs is coming down to the ring, he's pointing to his ring finger and I, you can't really catch what he's saying, but I, I assume that he wants DDP to think that he stole it. Or he's just mocking him. Or like, wh- where, like, where's your ring, big guy? Like, that yeah. kind of thing, you know? <laughs> oh, look, it's Ringless Page. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ringless Page. <laughs> uh, Riggs counters another whip into the ropes with a cross body block. But Page kicks out before any count is registered, then lays him out with a knuckle sandwich. After beating out Riggs some more, while shouting some more again about his ring, DDP slaps on an abdominal stretch while Larry Zabisco talks about the cancer known as sportsmanship. And apparently that is the only thing holding back Scotty Riggs from fame and fortune. It's his sportsmanship. (laughs) Which... It's another one of those kind of situations where he throws in this thing that is just going to business for himself. Right. By the way, I was a rich and famous wrestler because I didn't believe in sportsmanship. Right. Let's talk about Larry for a while. Needless to say, since we are we do have Diamond Dallas Page with another wrestler in the abdominal stretch, we get, we go through the sequence in which he's grabbing for the ropes. Let's go when Nick Patrick looks. Does the emphatic shaking his head that no, not he me. Nope. Um, and so we do that two more times. And on the third time, Nick Patrick, instead of like, you know, doing the regular, like five count to let go, he just immediately goes to kick in his hand. Um, which is as years go by when Diamond Dallas Page is a heel, they go immediately to kick in his hand. Yeah. Like every single time. And since his hand is kicked, Sky Rig is able, is able to follow it up with a hip toss. <clears throat> Riggs then tries for a sunset flip, but Page punches him, and he actually punches Riggs instead of missing and punching the mat, which to me was shocking. <laughs> that was an opportunity I'm sure Page wanted, but like, <laughs> so here we are. Um, however, after he punches him, he takes too much time to turn and jaw at the fans while still being in the position for a sunset flip, so he gets flipped over anyway for a two count. DDP gets up right away and clotheslines Riggs, then hits a pump handle slam, only he, uh, he uses a pump handle slam and turns it into a backbreaker, uh, which for for Paige, it's a, it's a really nice-looking move, the pump handle to the ne- to the backbreaker. And, of course, since I said it was a nice move, Diamond Dallas Page goes for a second one, but then he spends the time, like, he has uh, Riggs' arm between his legs, and then he starts r- running around the ring like, look at this. I'm going to do the pump handle again. Yeah. So he takes his awesome move and just does a ridiculous follow-up. So, of course, he spends all this time. And then when he tries o- for the pump handle slam, Riggs is able to roll over it for a schoolboy for a two count. Um, after all that explanation, the Riggs then drop kicks him out of the ring. That's giving me a moment to take, get, catch my breath. <laughs> Uh, Scotty Riggs then uh, gets onto the ring apron and hits a, a middle rope cross body block to arena floor. Then throws Paige back into the ring for a two count, which is broken up by DDP's foot on the rope. Uh, a Riggs body slam 
is then reverse into whoop, oh, there it is. Out of nowhere, the diamond cutter. <laughs> which is this is like the the first time in which Diamond Dallas Page hits a diamond cutter and it he doesn't have to immediately go for the pin because it's like the knockout move. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've seen him like hit it, maybe gloat a little bit and still get the pinfall victory. And and then as soon as the three is registered, he's immediately checking Riggs' pockets and his boots and everything for the ring. And then is checking Nick Patrick for the ring. Showing that, if anything, Paige knows how to stay in character throughout. Um, oh, yeah. Then um, Mean Gene Okerlund is at ringside and he's waiting for Diamond Dallas Page to come up uh, to do a post-match interview. Dallas Page, don't run away. I think a couple of mysteries might have been solved here tonight. It's not exactly Perry Mason, but I've got a pretty good idea where that ring is. I'll tell you what, it's pretty obvious how jealous the people at WCW are about Diamond Dallas Page. Let me point out for the record, this coming Sunday at the Bash at the Beach, you're going to be facing Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And another stipulation as part of this Lord of the Ring match will be tape fist. Yeah, tape fist. He'll tape his fist, tape his body, tape his mouth. Meet me at the bash because what it all comes down to is DDP. If I catch him in a diamond cutter, it's over. But I don't care about that right now. I want my ring right now. Well, I don't have it. I don't know who does. Check your pockets. What do you mean? Hey, what check are you your doing? pockets. What are you doing? Trying oh, to press me? Pull your pockets. I'm not going to. Hey, don't do it. Stop that. Stop what? I'll get an attorney. I'm not going to put up with that. Zero. I don't have anything. Still to come on Monday Nitro, live from Washington, the Macho Man. Don't yeah. go away. Keep your hands off me, please. Gene oddly says that he knows where the ring is. DDP, who has been obsessed with the ring all night, apparently can't be bothered now. <laughs> as he antagonizes the fans for being jealous of him. Gene then doesn't talk about the ring, instead asking about the tape fist match coming up at the Bash at the Beach. DDP says it doesn't matter what Hacksaw tapes. If DDP hits the cutter... Uh, if DDP, It doesn't matter what he tapes if DDP hits the cutter. But he doesn't care about that. He wants his ring right now. Dude... Gene was just trying to tell you <laughs> where it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Except now Gene says that he doesn't have it and he doesn't know who does. So what the hell was the point of what he was saying a second ago? <laughs> DDP starts searching Gene's pockets and Gene gets mad and then it just kind of ends. This was a very strange segment. <laughs> right. Gene raises ideas that have no payoff and that he immediately contradicts. Mm -hmm. DDP cares about his ring and nothing else. Only then he doesn't care about his ring at all. It's just stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. Um, yeah, my only thought was that the reason why he didn't like follow up or ask him anything about it was that DDP wasn't like prepared for him to say something like that. And maybe it just like it went one year, one in one year and out the other. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know because it, it seem, certainly seems like something that um, that Gene might just kind of like throw off because like Gene loves to have like like little throw off comments and and maybe he went with one that was like oh that's a little bit too close to storyline maybe you should <laughs> let's let's pull it back a little bit. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I was reading an interview with DDP recently where he says that he started learning a lot about this uh, the business around this time. And we'll certainly see how he has a huge 1997. Yes. Um, but Scott Hall and Kevin Nash really kind of took him in and really like taught him a lot about the business and things that he was doing that 
weren't really helping. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's also weird because he's like he is essentially kind of being played up as like it, in real life he's kind of like a rookie, but he's like also older than most of the right. Other yeah. Guys. So it's like thirty-seven year old Kevin Ash showing like forty year old. <laughs> yes. He might not have been forty by then. But <laughs> Uh, we go to commercial and we see a clip of Mongo paintbrushing Joe Gomez from last week, yes. slapping him around. And yeah, and I I enjoyed it the second time around as well. <laughs> when we come back, some generic rock plays and out comes, according to Tony, one of the great professionals of our time, Ooh. who is making his grand return to WCW. Jonathan Wisniski, a.k.a. Greg the Hammer Valentine, was born in Seattle and spent much of his youth traveling in Texas with his father, acclaimed wrestler Johnny Valentine. He dropped out of college and began his own wrestling career in 1970, with his dad sending him to Calgary, where he studied under Stu Hart. He spent six months with Hart before heading to Detroit, where he finished his training with the Sheik. Wisniski did not want to take his father's name originally and wrestled as Babyface Nelson before going as Johnny Fargo. <laughs> Just, I like the like idea. It's like, maybe we shouldn't focus the gimmick around here. Uh, around his face. The <laughs> ugly, ugly, ugly face <laughs> of Greg Valentine. He tried out Johnny Valentine Jr., but his dad was too concerned that having a son old enough to wrestle would make him appear too old. Uh, so instead, they build him as Greg the Hammer Valentine, and he was supposed to be Johnny's brother. It's all. It, it just seems like, like old school wrestling tradition where it's like my son's doing well, but I also got to look out for my own numbers too. <laughs> you know, he could have been just happy that his son was doing well, but no, I don't want to feel like an old man, even though you are literally my son. So. <laughs> He spent the remainder of the 70s in Florida, Los Angeles, Japan, and Jim Crockett promotions. In 1975, Johnny Valentine Sr. became paralyzed from the waist down as a result of a plane crash, the same plane crash that broke the back of Ric Flair in three places. The, the one that broke his back but made him, like, stronger and angrier <laughs> or something like that. Flair would be back in 1976 and reteaming with Greg Valentine. They won the NWA Tag Championship several times in 1976 and 77 before Flair moved into chasing the before Flair moved on to chasing the heavy uh, the heavyweight championship. He also made some sporadic appearances in the WWWF, including a one hour time limit draw against then heavyweight champion Bob Backlund at Madison Square Garden, and the idea of Greg the Hammer Valentine and Bob Backlund going Broadway. Ooh boy. No thank you. Yeah. It's like they're both men that need much more interesting uh wrestlers in the ring with them. Yeah. So pairing those two together for sixty minutes. In the early eighties he feuded with his old partner Flair over Flair's United States championship, which Valentine finally succeeded in winning from Flair in July of nineteen eighty in Charlotte. He held that title off and on through the remainder of his NWA run and had a memorable feud over the belt with Roddy Piper, which included a series of dog collar matches, including a particularly brutal one at Starcade 1983. It, also in 1983, Valentine joined Vincent Kennedy McMahon's WWF right as it made its push for national expansion. Right away, he held the Intercontinental Championship for 285 days, the fifth longest reign in history. He teamed with Bruce Beefcake and Don Morocco, but when asked to participate in an angle where he would kidnap Matilda, the British Bulldog's Bulldog, he instead quit the company. 
<laughs> he was brought back into the fold soon after and wrestled as a mid-card heel managed by Jimmy Hart until 1990. He teamed with the Honky Tonk Man as Rhythm and Blues before a lame babyface turn in late 1990. Aware of his diminishing status in the company, Valentine left and joined WCW in 1992. He was a United States Tag Team Champion with Terry Taylor, but when Taylor was released from the company, Valentine was left without much to do. After being asked to job to Sting, he quit the company. He made sporadic appearances in WWF in 1993 and 94, including one, including as one of Shawn Michaels' Masked Knights in the 1993 Survivor Series match uh, with his Masked Knights against Bret Hart and his brothers or yeah. whatever. Can you can you imagine he's like a, all right at that point he's like a what a twenty something year veteran, and just being unnamed masked knight. Uh yeah, <laughs> it is kind of sad. But also they're like, hey, no one helped the whole face thing, <laughs> like a big mask over it. <laughs> he also had a bid in the nineteen ninety four Royal Rumble. Since a short stint in the summer of July of ninety four, where he appeared only on WWF house shows. Uh, Valentine has been working in small Japanese indies and, according to Larry, some work in Europe as well. Uh, I do not like Greg the Hammer Valentine. Right. <laughs> um, I think, like, I, I don't know. Like, I want to be respectful because the guy certainly paid his dues. Mm-hmm. Um, and his wrestling style is, he's not terrible. He's hes snug and everything looks fine. But he's definitely, like, one of these 80s guys that just doesn't do a lot in the ring by... 90s standards certainly not by 2000s or 2017 mm. standards yeah he just doesn't do very much he's very slow and boring and there's no good way to say it but i hate his face i hate looking <laughs> at the man's face it's 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 a that's not even it's not even a a, a turn of phrase it's like literally his face yes. is i have a dislike yeah. for it <laughs> you know? yeah i do not <laughs> like the man's face you know there's that story that um mcmahon never saw christian as a star because he just hated christian's face and he had the idea of giving Christian a gimmick where his face would be a blue dot on the screen. Like they would put a, they would superimpose a blue dot over Christian's face. He hated his face. He hated his face. He hated Christian's face. But he's a good looking guy. And that Vince McMahon's a weird dude. Well, because like he's a good looking guy, but they and they pushed Edge, who is not a good looking guy. I don't know about that. Anyway, well, let's not debate which wrestler is more handsome. The point is Greg Valentine's No, hideous. let's debate some more. <laughs> <laughs> Macho Man makes his way to the ring in his red and white outfit, which is my least favorite Macho Man outfit. Um, oh, I, I just wanted to point out, like, when you're talking about his uh, his moveset, basically. Yeah. It, it's, there's a, it's There's nothing, like, really wrong with it. Like you said, he looks very technically sound. It's just very boring. And 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 I think that like the biggest reason why his career has lasted so long, because I I'm just looking up right here. He's wrestled this year, wow. Which is like he's almost at fifty years wrestling. Yeah, yeah. and that's because wow. he has he doesn't do anything that can remotely even like put wear and tear on his body. Right, like a drop kick probably is the thing that wears down his body the most that he does. Right, yeah. Like um, he he last wrestled. In uh, May, and then back in February, he wrestled Tito Santana, hmm. which is like what eighty years of wrestling between them. Like, not even <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> but but still, I'm I'm all bored on. I I feel the same way yeah. with Greg Valentine. I just don't know why. Like, why are they spending money on someone like him when they're getting <sighs> when they're yeah. like bringing in like young wrestlers? They should. That seems like a spot. 
even if it's like jobbing out to Savage, yeah, there's so many guys already there that could benefit from just getting that ring action. We haven't seen um, the Mauler or who is the fucking guy that he was facing when Hall interrupted them. What uh, is Mike Enos? Is he the Mauler? He's the Mauler. And uh, then there was the other guy who had the Mr. Perfect ripoff singlet. Anyway, we haven't seen either one of the Jim Powers was Jim Powers, right? Sounds right. We haven't seen either one of those guys since mm-hmm. that match. Like, have them come. Why not? Right. Were they really just brought in for the one show to get interrupted <laughs> and then they're gone forever? It, I, it's it's and stupid. they they weren't attacked. They were the opposite of attack. They were allowed just to leave. <laughs> they barely even got going. <laughs> they're like they're all raring to go for another match. <laughs> Uh, Macho stops by the VIP table on his way to the ring just to kind of fuck with the horseman's stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. Macho and Hammer lock up, and Hammer takes Savage to the corner where they roll around for a while until Randy Anderson gets them apart. They lock up again and end up on the ropes in the corner where Savage takes control with a headlock until Valentine catches him with a drop toehold. Valentine grabs Savage's feet, but Savage kicks him away and returns to a standing position as Valentine's horrible, ugly face is shown <laughs> while he flips his gross, dry straw hair. <laughs> I really appreciate that you started off like, I'm going to try to be respectful. <laughs> and then you're like, he's a gross, terrible person. Larry takes a moment to talk about how frustrating it is knowing uh, what he would be able to do in the ring, but he's forced to sit back and watch at Bash the Beach. Fuck you, Larry. That is, Shut up. That is the, for one thing, it's the hardest going for your business for yourself that you can possibly hear. And also bullshit yeah seriously (laughs) he he wouldn't stand like 60 seconds with either of those guys (laughs) valentine is in control with punches chops forearms and irish whips until macho prevents a corner splash by getting a boot up which presumably made valentine's face even flatter (laughs) this gets a two count valentine tries to throw macho between the ropes to the outside but macho is not in the mood for any bumps tonight so he lays on the edge of the ring and then steps down to the floor he pulls the hammer out to join him and runs into the guardrail before bringing him back in the ring where Valentine gets a kick before throwing Savage through the ropes to the opposite side of the ring. And I guess Savage feels like bumping now because this time he sails right through. Hmm. Maybe he knew one was coming and he's like, I got one per night. I don't know. Boy, I just, yeah, thinking about at this time just how like destroyed his body is. Yeah. And especially since they're not, he's not given any time to recover or anything like that. So if there's a point where he's like, I don't want to bump, I'm like, don't blame you. Fair play. Yes. <laughs> this time it's Savage who eats guardrail, and then some knife-edge chops and a standing elbow drop. Valentine gets back in the ring as Macho tries to follow. He elbows Randy on the back of the head several times. He brings Savage into the ring and chokes him with a boot in the corner, as Tony says it's interesting that Valentine showed up right before the attempted hostile takeover. And boy, I can't wait to see Greg Valentine be the third man on Sunday. <laughs> right. Now, when he forms the NWO, does he end up being Hollywood or Wolfpack? I can never remember. (laughs) Dude, with that face, he's Hollywood. We get a backbreaker by Valentine for a two count. Macho Man catches a second wind and starts taking over with some punches. He hits a scoop slam as the one-minute countdown begins for hour two of Nitro. Macho heads to the top turnbuckle for an elbow drop, but Hammer gets to his feet and elbows the diving Macho. You suddenly hear the director or somebody yell at Tony that there's 35 seconds left. (laughs) In the Observer, uh, Meltzer mistakenly thinks that this is Randy Anderson cueing the wrestlers. But no, I watched this a few times and it's definitely happening in the announce booth. It's it's not Randy Anderson. Yeah. 
I don't remember there ever being like a hot mic issue with the uh, referees and on Nitro. So sure. that seems like a a pretty poor guess on his behalf, to be honest. Yeah, to be fair though, he he was just watching it live and wouldn't have a rewind button. Like I've got oh. that sweet network like ten second back over and over and sure, over thing. So sure. yeah. Uh he also might not have cared enough to look at it. <laughs> that's true. Which is also reasonable. The hammer hits a slight hammer hits a side slam, but I guess landed on the back of his own head and knocked himself out uh, as he does this move, but then he just lays there unconscious. Randy uh, Macho Man hits the big elbow and gets the pin, and that's it. It's very weird. This The ending of this match makes no sense. It's just Valentine was doing a move and then knocked himself out, and he got hit with an elbow and pinned. They're trying, I think, to time the 1-2-3 with the 3-2-1 countdown to hour two, but they don't quite nail it. Yeah, There's like four seconds left after the pinfall. Yeah, no, it, it is really weird, and it's just like it doesn't doesn't really do anyone any favors because like yeah. it does, if if they're gonna use Greg Valentine again, it makes him look pretty dumb in the ring, and for Savage, it look does it looks like a very cheap victory because he accidentally knocked himself out. So yeah, it is. It's just really a bizarre ending to a match that really no one asked for. Uh, let's see. This was a very basic and boring match, and that's not just Valentine's fault. Macho Man is not really, like, he's responsible, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, though he definitely didn't look good. He made himself look like an idiot. I can't believe he came back, and they were like, okay, so in your first match back, you're going to knock yourself out doing a move, mm-hmm. and then you're going to get pinned. It's just crazy to me that he, I, he was probably like, how many sandwiches are you going to pay? I <laughs> And it's like, uh, you, you guys aren't road carnies anymore. We, we pay actually in money. <laughs> Bischoff gives some general hype and sends us to a commercial with the promise the giant is next. All right, welcome back, everybody. And we're coming to you live here on WCW Nitro on TNT. Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, glad to be back with you. And right off the bat, I want to take this opportunity to attend to some personal business. Uh, first of all, I am glad to be back, and I want to thank all the people that sent in cards and, and letters to show us support. Quite frankly, I didn't expect it, and it was overwhelming, and I do want to thank you. I also have something I'd like to say to the outsiders, especially you, Nash. I don't know what you were thinking. What are you, seven foot tall, 350 pounds? Who are you trying to impress? Because let me tell you something. I hope you impress somebody. You didn't scare anybody. Sting isn't afraid of you. Lex Luger isn't afraid of you. And I know the macho man Randy Savage isn't afraid of you. And I got something else I want to tell you. We're all going to be there on July 7th, this Sunday. And I can't tell you how much I look forward to it. Just remember, you didn't scare anybody. And now, Brain, we got a lot of action coming up. We've got a great second hour coming your way. When we return from commercial, we go to the announce desk where Bischoff sits alongside partners, Bo- alongside partner Bobby Heenan. Eric wants to attend to some personal business first. He thanks the fans for all the cards and letters he's received while recovering from the attack at the hands of the Outsiders. The crowd loudly chants Weasel at Heenan. Bischoff addresses the Outsiders, especially you, Nash, which is the first time either Hall or Nash has been referred to by name. Eric adopts a very sincere tone and tells Nash that he didn't impress or scare anyone. Not Sting, not Lex, and not Macho. Bischoff can't wait for this Sunday. Mm. And this is a excellent promo. 
yeah. by Bischoff right here. So good. Yeah, because um, it I I feel like it really puts over the angle and the feud, and it's not it's not about um Bischoff, you know. Even though he's like, you know, you don't scare me. I mean, that's what the character would do. Right. Even if he is scared, it's like, you don't scare me. We're not going to be intimidated by your, like, bully tactics and everything like that. So, no, I thought it was really good. And it's like, it was a good way to to bring Bischoff back at the announce table. At least because like, he has to acknowledge something. But if you just, like, give him a couple of seconds to, to talk and then you move on to just his regular job. Yeah, it's really well done. Eric asked Bobby how he feels about seeing the Horsemen fight as a unit for the first time with their current lineup. Bobby says that normally he'd be excited, but tonight he's too worried and points out the extra security. Bischoff hypes the pay-per-view a bit more as the crowd begins to go mental. Bobby points to an area of the arena and the camera cuts to Hall and Nash making their way down the steps, holding what appears to be refreshments. Hmm. Bischoff orders security to get them out of here. Hall and Nash make their way to the front row. Well, they didn't come here to eat popcorn and drink Coke, says Bobby. They don't have a ticket or nothing. He steps all over the bit. Because, of <laughs> right. course, they do have tickets. <laughs> right. Doug Dillinger orders the outsiders uh, out of the arena, but Nash produces their tickets. He laughs and says they came to see the big boys. Well, it's a free country, says Bischoff. Sit where you want to sit. I, last week, these men were literally part of an armed standoff surrounded mm. by 8,000 of your paying fans. I would maybe suggest that despite being a free country, they're not safe to have in your arena. Right, yeah. <laughs> we go to a uh, commercial, and Glacier is still coming to WCW. Our blood is still running cold. But this is significant because now we're in July, and it says that Glacier is showing up July 1996. Yeah, yeah. So I would think we'll see him soon. We will not. Oh. <laughs> Out comes John Tenta with no music, which never, ever, ever works. That gimmick <laughs> right. never works. I, and I know he does it every week, but I do think it's important to mention this is a terrible way of getting him over. With the shaved hair? Well, oh, oh, the music. Yeah, the yeah. No, like They're basically like, okay, so he pretended he was an avalanche shark. Now his character is he has no personality, and the mailman laughs at him. <laughs> The Dungeon of Doom music hits, and out comes the giant, accompanied by Jimmy Hart. Bobby says that Tenta is a big guy, and if he thinks about Bubba and gets mad enough, maybe he can beat the giant. Bischoff, the babyface announcer, says, that's a stretch of the imagination. <laughs> he goes on to say that Tenta is going to try to rise to the occasion, but quite frankly, the giant is way too strong. Wow. Well, way to build up the match, Bischoff. Well, Jesus. When I was saying it earlier, as a fan, as a fan, I should be like, I can be like, no, I don't think he stands a chance. Yeah. The announcer's job is to make is to make every guy seem like a legitimate wrestler. We're in hour two. Raw is on right now. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't I flip over to Raw when you've told me that this match, how it's going to end, you know? Right. Exactly. Because <laughs> they, they put this the tall match like right here, so it, inter it like goes head to head. But if Bischoff, Eric Bischoff says, this is not going to be a competitive match, right. why on earth would I watch it? Hall and Nash are shown in the crowd looking unimpressed. The announcers wonder about the empty chair between them. Is it for the third man? Here to call all the action for this championship match is our own third man, <laughs> Dave Amantor. I, I don't know what that's supposed to be. I, was, I have no I idea. Was, I was like, come on, call me the third man because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I also wanted to kind of uh, I'll point out 
when he was coming down to the ring that John Tenta's like half shaved head looks like really distinct tonight. I don't know if it was like they reshaved it or something like that, but it just like it seems more apparent than or yeah, never mind. Um, also, I like it after the giant comes to the ring. They show a shot of the outsiders, and they look very like stern and serious, and like they look at the giant as a legitimate threat. Yeah, which, which again points out why on earth was he not like in the six man tag is coming up in six days? But hey, the past is past. So the bell rings, and Tenta and and John exchange blows. Tenta with clubbing punches, and the giant with chops. John Tenta eventually backs the champion into the corner and wails away on him. He whips the giant into the opposite corner and hits a big splash. But when he tries to repeat the maneuver, giant clotheslines him to the mat. Uh, while giant kicks away at Tenta in the corner, Eric Bischoff says reinforcements have been called, which is crazy since they before have had enough security to enter Fort Knox. <laughs> That's right. Which I, which I don't understand what that means. It's like, no, no, you don't have clearance, uh, but I have a lot of security. Yeah, well, Eric and his private security force are going to infiltrate Fort Knox in a wacky series of uh, heisting hijinks. <laughs> uh, after cho- choking John Tenta in the corner with his boot, Giant clubs him across the chest with forearms. The Giant then body slams John Tenta with ease as we get a shot of security just like sitting in chairs and just staring at Hall and Ash. It's just a really weird image. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to point out that, like, again, it's so- something as simple as one wrestler body slamming another is so impressive with the giant picking up Tenta just without a problem at all and body slamming him. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he just he's, he's a freak of nature. It's crazy. And and I, I have wanted to point this out before, but I, I keep forgetting it, too. But, like, the thing with the giant is he doesn't look like he works out a lot. Like, he doesn't have a lot of, like, definition. It just seems like his strength comes from, like, just pure size. Right. Uh, well, at this point, I think he's, like, he's smoking and drinking and definitely not working out. Mm-hmm. He is noticeably getting a little bigger in the waist than yeah. when he started. Mm-hmm. And that's <laughs> going to continue. Yeah. Um, and was, I don't know if it was the last week or, or whatever week it was where when he came out and it was, like, he looks like he hasn't slept in a few days. Yes. So yeah. I, I think he's kind of enjoying the benefits of being champion a little bit too sure, much. Sure, yeah. Um, just staring at it. Giant uh, gets Tenta in the corner and hits some shoulder thrusts while uh, Eric and Bobby talk about the reasons for not revealing the third man tonight, which why on earth would you do it just six days before the pay-per-view? Right. You haven't done it yet. Why would you just do it tonight? Yeah. Well, it's like in poker. Uh, at the end of the game, you reveal your hand, or sometimes, if you're brave, you just do it at the beginning for no reason. <laughs> it's only if you're brave. <laughs> Try and beat this. Well, I, I literally can't, so I'm just going to, yeah. Um, and Giant with more chops and a boot to Tenta's throat. And a boot across Tenta's throat, I mean. The Giant hits Tenta with... with a, what I, I essentially just call butt thrusts. Yeah. Yes. I know exactly what that means. <laughs> right. And uh, and at this moment, you could, like, from the angle, you could see Hall and Nash. And Hall is clearly depicting how giant, the giant's ass is. <laughs> yes. 
And uh, I liked it because like there's the the like the older guy that's sitting next to Hall mm-hmm. is just laughing his ass off, <laughs> and I yeah. can imagine he's having like the time of his life. Oh, sitting next to those guys has got to be a blast. Yeah, and I f- I failed to mention earlier is when Hall and Nash came out and they were like jawing with Doug Dillinger, and uh, and Hall like offered him some popcorn. Mm-hmm. The, the fan next to him, like, just reached in and grabbed a big handful without, like, <laughs> just unprompted. Eh, why not? <laughs> um, and now they, they, the camera goes to Hall and Ash, and they're starting to act like uh, the third man is late. They're, like, checking their watch and, like, looking up the aisle. Yeah. Um, although, really, there won't be much enough. Although really there won't be much room for him the way the two are like man spreading out. <laughs> yeah. There's like that third seat in between them is not going to fix you fit could, any wrestler. Yeah, you could put like a coke there. That's, that's about <laughs> all, all the room to have right a now. Large popcorn. <laughs> anyway, back in the ring, uh, John Tenta rakes the giant's eyes, which doesn't hurt him. It just pisses him off. <laughs> and the giant unloads with punches and elbows until Tenta just like collapses to the mat. And I liked it. it's a it's a that part's a pretty good sequence because, like, a man of Tenta size just being overcome by power, right? It just makes the giant look really, really good. Absolutely, like, so that part there I really liked it. The giant backs into the far corner and tries a splash of his own, but Tenta gets a boot up. He tries to knock a uh, giant over the series of clotheslines, but when that doesn't work, he pulls out the drop kick, which giant sells like NBA player doing a really bad flop. It's, it is cool seeing Tenta do a drop kick, though. Yeah, it's just it's kind of unfortunate that the Giant didn't sell it very well. Right, but it 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 was a nice another nice sequence that was like you know he couldn't get him with the traditional clothesline, so he had to pull something out of his arsenal that he usually doesn't bring up. Yeah, and now comes a very weird sequence. So first we get Jimmy Hart jumping onto the apron and Tenta doing like the defying physics and flipping him into the ring by mm-hmm. shaking the ropes mm-hmm. in which the referee he sees it doesn't see a problem with it no no disqualification called Kevin Sullivan now rushes to ringside and not only does he get up on the apron but he starts grappling with Tenta yep again no disqualification called yep and then the giant kicks Tenta in the back hits the choke slam and pins him so just when i was starting to say that they were making the giant look very good he has to do all this interference in order to beat Tenta, who the same John Tenta that Bischoff said had like no prayer of winning this match. So I felt like there were sequences here that made the giant look really good, but the ending is just a mess. And and now Bubba comes to the ring and now he's got the clippers and he's shaving half of Tenta's beard. So I guess we're still going with that whole yeah. Barber Angle. Is Barber Angle? I don't know. <laughs> Barbara Angle. Uh, after the match, as Dave said, Bubba's in the ring immediately and begins to shave the beard of Tenta. Oh, no, not again, says Bischoff. <laughs> that just, I don't know again. why it really tickles me <laughs> that a grown man shaving another man's beard gets the reaction of, oh, no, not again. <laughs> Bubba holds the razor up proudly as Bobby asks how you'd like to wake up and find that the hair you once had isn't there anymore. Bobby, I speak from experience when I say it fucking sucks. <laughs> Bischoff is disgusted and lists off the names of the Dungeon of Doom. Giant, Sullivan, Jimmy Hart, Bubba, et al. <laughs> and for some reason, et al. is said with more rancor and venom than any of the other names. He's the worst uh. of all. <laughs> 
After replays, we go to Mean Gene, who stands by with the giant in the Dungeon of Doom. All right, very busy evening. Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan joining me. Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, Big Bubba, and the 470-some-odd-pound, six-foot-four-inch champion, the giant. Jimmy Hart, what a night it has been. Bash at the Beach coming up Sunday live from Daytona. Mean Gene at the Bash at the Beach. Chris Benoit and Aaron Anderson, the four horsemen. That's just an example of what's going to happen to you. Before we get to, to that, I want to talk to this man, Big Bubba. You've been at it again. You're not a barber by any stretch of the imagination. Don't plan to be. How much humiliation can one man take? You got a half a beard to go with that half a head of your hair of yours. Two weeks ago, I took some nickels. I put them in a sock. I busted you with an inch of your life. Well, at the Bachelor Beach, the stakes are going to be a little higher. Silver dollars on top of pole. First one to get to them gets to use them. I'm going to hurt you at the bash at the Beach, punk. Carson City Silver Dollar match coming up this Sunday. Also, in tag team action, the heavyweight champ, the Giant, and you, Kevin Sullivan, to team up. I hope you're not preoccupied with something else that's going on in this arena. You're going to be facing Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. If the horsemen win next Monday, they'll face him. Plus a couple of other stipulations I should point out. Let me see this. First of all, John Tenna, your first fatal mistake was leaving the Dungeon of Doom. Don't ever cross the Dungeon of Doom! Or the joke slam is the price you'll have to pay. And Big Bubba's going to shave your entire body. First of all, the next thing I want to address is the four horsemen. The problem, Taskmaster, I told you, never trust a horse. Horsemen are jealous. They want to be elite. I have the world title. I always will. It's a legacy. They want the belt. They're coming to Florida, Daytona Beach, our home turf. Horsemen. You might come in as four. I promise you, you're going to leave this four geldings. All right, uh, that's a little strong. Kevin Sullivan, no disqualification. There must be a winner. No count outs, none of that in store. You know, all I can say right now, Gene, Chris Benoit, Aaron Anderson, what happened to me? in Baltimore when we fought all through the building. I'll get with you guys and you'll see. Don't worry about Tent Attendance getting back on his feet. Wait a minute, they're just walking off, leaving me. Another point, Benoit. I just heard the Taskmaster. You want a piece of the Taskmire? That's your problem. The fire burning in his soul is something that you can't stand the heat of. You think the Taskmaster's a weak link? You're wrong! All right, the emotions are running very high. We're inside a week next Sunday live from Daytona Beach, 7 o'clock Eastern time on pay-per-view, the bash at the beach, and stay tuned. The crowd chants flare at them. Jimmy Hart says that at Bash at the Beach, the horsemen will end up like Tenta. Big Bubba wonders how much humiliation one man can take. He explains that the Carson City silver dollar match means there will be some silver dollars on a pole, and the first man to get them can use them. Hmm. Sullivan looks distracted as Gene asks him a question. Uh, Presumably, he's distracted by the outsiders. And really, let's just say, what he's trying to do 
is Sullivan's trying to act like he's because he's the booker and the smart fans know that he's trying to be like I'm too distracted by these guys to cut my in character promo yeah but he's way overdoing it he thinks he's being subtle (laughs) I know from listening to his podcast like he really thinks that he's good at subtle hints but he's (laughs) fucking carny as shit and everything <laughs> is played to the back row of an arena full of people right yeah he's he, yeah he thinks he's subtle but he's beating you to death with it <laughs> uh giant interrupts and says that tenta uh tenta's first mistake was leaving the dungeon of doom a group that he was kicked out of <laughs> right for crossing the dungeon the choke slam is the price that he's gonna have to pay and big bubba is gonna shave your entire body Ugh. yeah the price you're going to pay is that move that I just gave you. <laughs> the giant continues with, first of all, the next thing I want to address, <laughs> which is a hilarious and confusing thing to say. Uh, go on. <laughs> giant says that he told Taskmaster, never trust a horse. <laughs> and holy shit, this might be my new favorite promo of all time. <laughs> we, we thought it was wacky when it was like shaving John Tenta's entire body. <laughs> that was only the start. First thing, the next thing I want to address is never trust a horse. (laughs) I'm getting that tattooed on me somewhere. (laughs) The horsemen are jealous. They want to be elite. They want his title, (laughs) etc. He also reiterates that Daytona Beach is the home turf of the dungeon, which is magnificently hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) He ends by promising the the horsemen will leave Florida as four geldings. Now the Taskmaster gets a chance to talk, but he's way too distracted. (laughs) He keeps starting and stopping, but he's eyeing Hall and Nash, and he can't get through his promo, and it's very, very stupid, and I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) He starts wandering back up the aisle to the back, um, and the giant just bellows nonsense. The giant's just like, why don't I talk more? Right. And he just screams for like 10 seconds before Gene sends us to commercial. Uh, coming back from commercial, we learn that on Saturday night this week, the American males take on the Rock and Roll Express. DDP, Benoit, Macho Man, Sting, Luger, and more will be in action. Hmm. Bischoff hypes the upcoming bash match between Ray and Psychosis. He throws it to a Mysterio video package, showing off some of the cool highlights from his two matches <laughs> with Dean Malenko. It is kind of cool that there are a bunch of highlights from just two matches, mm-hmm. but as you pointed out when we first recorded this, they show the same moves from like multiple angles right. sometimes. Mm-hmm. There's there's definitely some repeats, and they don't even get through the whole video because suddenly Bischoff halts the playing of the video, and we cut back to the announcer's desk, catching a production assistant off guard, and she scurries out of frame, like clutching some papers that she was trying to arrange. Mm-hmm. Is this on? We hear over the PA, and apparently Kevin Nash somehow in the crowd has found a hot mic. <laughs> right. What is what is it tonight with like laying on mics around just anywhere? Hold, 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 hold! Stop this! Stop this thing right now! Stop this tape! Stop tape! Get security! Is this on? What now? Looks like we're taking over a little early. Hey, look. Hey, look. Big man. Donnie Osmond's back. He's back. Hey, Bischoff, you get a couple frequent flyer miles from that last ride there. Oh, that's good. That's real good. Eric, let's get out of here. Oh, my God. Hey, get him out of here. Get the fuck out. Hey, hey. Easy, easy. Oh, look, 
the clouds! Look at the clouds! Oh, look at the clouds! Get him out of here! I don't, I'm still looking for that third guy. There's still just two of them. Look at Savage, the wild man. He's going to this. You don't want none of this. Bubba's out here. Diamond Dallas is out here. Kevin Sullivan's out. The Giants just come out. I tell you just what. Just the best you got. Just the best you got. You're going to need more than that. I'm telling you, I don't like the looks of this. I mean, you've got everybody in the WCW locker room. Nash and Hall wander around surrounded by security. Nash says they are taking over early, and Hall says Donny Osmond is back, comparing Bischoff to the clean-cut, white-toothed 70s pop star. The cops try to stop the two men, and Nash pushes them off, clearly saying, get the fuck off. <laughs> right. Sting, Savage, and Luger run out. Look at the clowns, yells Nash. Hall goads the baby faces, and now the Steiners are out too. Macho fights off a couple cops and makes for the outsiders while Nash taunts him on the mic. Now even heels like the Dungeon and DDP are out to defend WCW. Hall and Nash are unfazed by the 20 cops and the entire WCW locker room and won't back down, making them super cool baby faces. <laughs> Which you can clearly tell by the audience reaction. They're way into it and they are definitely uh, cheering. Mm-hmm. The cops kick the outsiders out and Nash starts chanting, Attica, Attica, a reference to <laughs> Al Pacino's character in the 1975 film Dog Day Afternoon, who chants this in reference to a famous prison riot. Nash bellows with laughter at his own joke as he's let out, and it's great. It's right. so good. <laughs> now the WCW guys just kind of mill around for a while. A long while. <laughs> we go to commercial. And when we come back, Gene Okerlund is in the locker room. He invites Hacksaw to join. Uh, he invites Hacksaw to join him, and Christ Almighty, we get a second Hacksaw promo on the same show. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to WCW Monday Nitro. We are live. We're just outside of Washington D.C. and Landover, Maryland, the number one wrestling television program in all of cable. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, wait come on in if you would. Please, please, yeah. Excuse me for interrupting you, but old Hacksaw, I just went back to the toilet to relieve myself. I'm looking down on the ground, and lo and behold, look what I whoa, found. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's that, that king of the ring. I understand DDP is out here whining and crying that somebody stole his ring. Obviously, you could tell that I wouldn't steal his ring because I wear a man-size ring. You not found, found that bit in the men's room? Well, yes, so I certainly did. There. You know, right he there thought somebody floor. stole it. Stole it. Who would want this little feminine piece of metal wrapped around their finger? Not Hacksaw Jim Bud Duggan, but being the ex-Boy Scout that I am, I come here to Eugene to show you that I'll bring this back. I'll give it to DDP if he wants it. All right, let me point out for the record, this coming Sunday night live from Daytona, exclusively right on pay-per-view. If found it in the men's room, well, yes. I was right back You're going to be facing... Eugene. Go ahead. Me. I'm going to be fair, right? I'm going to be facing big old DDP at Bash at the Beach at a tape fist match. Sometimes makes me wonder if this ring's a little too tight around his finger. You're not thinking right, Paige. You're getting the ring with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Not that I'm no great technical wrestler. Wait a minute. Get him out of here. 
thief! Thief! I told you someone stole it, you thief! You can't beat me for the reason hey! you had to steal hey! it! Who do you Dude. think you're talking to? You don't call me a thief! You don't call me a liar! You don't call hey, me hey, a guys. cheat! I don't want to get you in the middle of this. You want this back, you take this thing back, back if you want it. I like to give it no, back no, to no, you. Hey, not in here. Want this piece Save it for Sunday night. Take a walk, baby. Look at there. Diamond Dallas down on the floor, picking it up. I got respect for you, Pete. Oh, no! You've got to be kidding me. Beach. Tough guy! Stop Who it. want that ring anyway? Totally uncalled for. I don't know how this thing got this far out of whack here, but Hacksaw Jim Duggan has just leveled Diamond Dallas Page. He nailed him with a tape fist. That's going to be part of the action at the Bash at the Beach. Ladies okay. and gentlemen, I'm going to have to... Everybody needs security in this place tonight. Right now, let's get you back inside the U.S. Air Arena. Hacksaw says that he went to the toilet to, like, relieve himself. I think I think those are his exact <laughs> terms. And he saw the Lord of the Ring rings on the bathroom floor. He has it on his pinky now. That's the King of the Ring, says Gene, before Hacksaw interrupts with a few more lame lines about DDP being gay for having a ring. <laughs> a ring he won in a WCW-sanctioned tournament where the prize was a ring. Right. Also, wasn't Jim Duggan a part of that tournament? I don't remember. I'm not looking it up. I am going to guess he was, so right. haha. <laughs> Hacksaw says that he's an ex-Boy Scout, and he'll give the ring back to DDP. He and uh, Gene banter a bit more until DDP shows up to accuse Hacksaw of stealing the ring, which angers Duggan. Hacksaw, <laughs> Hacksaw tosses the ring on the floor, and DDP takes ages to pick it up and return to his feet, giving Hacksaw enough time to sloppily taste his fist, lay out DDP, and call him tough guy. <laughs> DDP leaves, and DDP oversells the shit out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the arena, and it's time for our main event. As out comes a four-man team comprised of a legend of a legendary '70s tag team long past their prime, a really green Ultimate Warrior ripoff that hasn't wrestled on television since February, and Bo Dallas and Baron Corbin's even less talented love child. <laughs> yes, it's the Rock and Roll Express, the Renegade, and Joe Gomez. Renegade is no longer so much based on the Warrior. Actually, he doesn't have the tassels and the face paint anymore. Now he comes out with a leather jacket and a black bandana, and I think he's kind of going for like sexy biker. But he kind of just he kind of looks like um, the the naughty one in a '90s boy band. <laughs> like he's the one your your dad would be mad about. <laughs> out next in all their glory are the Horsemen. First come Liz, Woman, and Deborah, followed by an exuberant flair. Arn Benoit and Mongo are the quiet muscle behind the nature boy who's just prancing around, and the whole group is so fucking cool. <laughs> right. Hey, here's three beautiful women. Hey, here's this, like, outrageous character in his big feathered robe, and here's three guys who are going to beat the shit out of you if you point out what a ridiculous, like, <laughs> right. doofus this guy is. <laughs> They're so great. <laughs> We go to commercial and we get a Bash at the Beach promo that is way better than that uh, previous one with the mirage and the guy drowning in the ocean and all that <laughs> shit. Right. What? what? <laughs> when we come back to the show, Bischoff says that they are infested with security. Oh, gross. Yeah, I had a security infestation before, and let me tell you, once those guys get in, it is impossible to get them out. <laughs> we had to throw away a mattress. <laughs> 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 
Arn, <laughs> I like that you've heard these jokes before and you're still giving me a little bit of a laugh. I appreciate it's, that. You're, I, you're I always, doing great work today, Dave. I, I, always, I always love a good corny joke. Arn Anderson and Ricky Morton are in the bell as, are in the ring as the bell sounds. They go back and forth a bit until Arn ends up in the babyface corner where he's nailed by the whole team, which brings in the all participants in the match for Donnybrook, although Mongo hilariously waits quite a bit before joining in. It's like he doesn't know that everyone's going to get in the ring and fight because he's just so green. So he just stands there watching for a minute before he's like, oh, yeah, I should probably get in there too. Yeah, and and if you go back to Great American Bash, this is, this is like his thing now. He, he waits until like, he has to help. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of makes sense, I guess, since he's only really in it for the money. Yeah. So, it, I mean, I would 100% say it's because he's green and doesn't realize what's going on. But mm-hmm. it would work if they made it like a character thing where it's like, okay, fine. I mean, I'm not getting paid extra for this, but whatever. <laughs> the horsemen regroup on the outside while Heenan cuts a nice little promo on the WCW roster working too hard for too long to be pushed around by the likes of the Outsiders. Flair gets tagged and heads in to face Morton. Flair struts and wastes time before they lock up in, into the corner where Flair chops Ricky a bit. The announcers sell it as devastating, even as Morton no-sells the chops and nails Flair with punches and a back <laughs> body drop, followed up by a Frankensteiner. Robert Gibson enters the match and joins Morton in hitting a double drop kick. Randy Anderson counts one, despite Flair rolling out from the pin a solid half second before he even starts the count. <laughs> Flair gets up and is in his own corner, but he doesn't tag anyone in, and he's punched by Ricky Morton. Bischoff, for some reason, calls this as if Flair accidentally wound up in the babyface corner. He says, like, oh, Flair had no idea where he was, and when he figured it out, he got out of there in a hurry. Right. But no, he was in his own corner. What you're saying does not make sense. Gibson is tagged in, and he takes Flair down with a shoulder block, only he goes... Only he also goes down and starts selling his head. And I'm guessing what he expected was for Flair to get him with an elbow when they collided. Mm -hmm. But Flair just didn't, and he sold it anyway. Yeah. Flair tags in Arn, and the Enforcer takes it to Gibson for a bit before he's nailed with an Enziguri. He tags in Benoit, and the crowd noticeably pops for the Crippler's entrance into the match. Gibson maintains control with a shoulder block and a hip toss on Benoit. Bischoff speculates what Jim Belushi and Mike Ditko would think about Mongo now. A callback to a couple of interviews showing on Saturday night, like way back around the time we started the show. Yeah. Gibson tags in Renegade to scattered booze. Benoit dominates him in the heel corner with punch kick and then tags in Flair. Flair hits some chops, but is soon selling clotheslines from the former stripper... Uh, <laughs> Renegade, who then brings in Gomez. <laughs> Flair doesn't want any part of this amazing one-two combo of Renegade and Gomez, so he takes a powder. I wouldn't want a part of them either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> someone in this match is going to injure me, and it's not going to be Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. <laughs> right. <laughs> Back in the ring, Gomez whips Flair into a corner so he can do his flip over the turnbuckle spot, after which he's nailed on the apron by Renegade. Gomez hits Flair with a low with a low and slow back body drop for two. It's amazing how tall Joe Gomez is and how high Ric Flair gets on back body drops and how low this one manages to be. <laughs> right. it, has, it has all the fixings for like a really great back body drop, but we get the opposite. Bischoff is calling this match at a fucking mile a minute with nearly a breath to be found, and I think he may have found Mongo's stash backstage. <laughs> Flair tags in Benoit, and he hits some hard-as-hell chops on Gomez in the corner with the camera in real tight. 
He stomps a mud hole in Gomez and yells at his face for messing with the horsemen. Oh, the, that, that, those sequences are always great. The, the close-up in the corner with, with Benoit. It's, I said it before, it's the best way to get him over. That's like his character right there in a nutshell. Benoit is nuts, says Bischoff, and Bobby and I agree. <laughs> Mongo, is ta- Mongo is tagged into a slightly positive reaction. He hits a clubbing blow to Gomez's back that seems like it was not worked in the slightest. It was so hard that, like, Bobby and Bischoff just laugh at how hard it was. Was That was the uh, the Mongo one? Yeah. Yeah, because that was when, uh, when Bischoff describes it at his forearm as a sledgehammer wrapped in flesh. Yes. Which is, is like you said, it's gross, but it's also a really great line. But I, I also like, and and you'll see a little bit more when you get to uh, Bash of the Beach, that's kind of like his signature thing is to hit really hard forearm smashes, and then his matches pretty much fall apart after that. <laughs> Mongo drives Gomez's head into the mat and jaw jacks with the crowd who respond with boos. He tags in Flair, and it sounds like the crowd starts with boos, but it turns to woos. <laughs> I was saying woo earns. <laughs> we get a rolling knee drop from Flair, which gets a two count. In comes the enforcer, who is soon on the receiving end of a sunset flip from Gomez. We get classic Aloha Arn, uh, who only goes down when Nerky Morton jumps in the ring and punches him. Arn escapes the pin at two. Um, You have to remind me what the Aloha Arn Oh, it's a thing from OSW Review where... Um, it goes back to a specific sunset flip that Arn got in one of the shows they were reviewing, and he like waves his arms in the air as he's like going down, and it's for a very long time, and they kind of say it looks like the aloha, Uh-oh. and you're doing the like wavy arm things. So anytime he does that, it's like you're getting the aloha arm. Yeah, okay. yeah. When you're the guy waving your arms in the sunset flip, yeah. you're like doing the aloha arm. Okay. And he's of course the master of it. Okay, although. Diamond Dallas Page spends a lot of his time <laughs> doing that, too. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> He's learning from the master. Arn takes control with punches and a spine buster, not on par with his best, which I'm more than happy to blame on Gomez. <laughs> the subsequent pin is broken up by the baby faces, who are doing a lot of cheating tonight. Arn tags in Benoit f- uh, from the mat, but holds Gomez's foot, and you can see him cover his mouth, so I assume he's trying to give the g- still green Gomez some instructions for the next spot. <laughs> Benoit starts off with an Irish whip and a back body drop attempt, but Gomez hooks the arms and turns the crippler around for a backslide that draws a one count. Benoit makes the tag to Flair, who nails Gomez with some punches to the head. Flair goes for the figure four, and Gomez is supposed to turn this into a cradle, but Gomez is not good at wrestling, so Flair (laughs) stops midway through putting the hold on, (laughs) stares at Gomez for a moment before yelling instructions at him. (laughs) The resulting cradle gets a two count, and my morbid fascination with seeing Gomez and McMichael in a match this Sunday has grown exponentially. (laughs) (laughs) Arn is tagged in, and he does that thing where you slingshot a guy under the bottom rope so that he, like, he hits the bottom rope with his neck, like, under the rope. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking Arn about. Arn works the leg and tags in Flair, who hits a rolling knee to Gomez's knee. Back in Benoit, back in comes Benoit, who continues the attack on the knee of Gomez. I feel like the horsemen have just decided that Gomez will be better in this match if he can't stand up anymore, <laughs> and I can't say I find fault with that line of reasoning. <laughs> right. <laughs> now it's Mongo's turn as he gets tagged in. Bobby starts talking about how at Bash of the Beach will be so crazy, it will probably spill out of the arena and out onto the beach. 
Bischoff replies by saying that we'll make the invasion of Normandy look tame before realizing what a horrifying thing that is to say. So he meekly adds, with all due respect to veterans everywhere, meaning no disrespect, in a lot of ways, this is wrestling's version of all-out warfare. Oh, that's just, you're not really helping yourself. <laughs> Bobby f- finally bails him out by focusing on a power slam by Mongo, claiming that he's never seen that move done any better. Mongo then hits a big standing elbow drop before tagging in Arn. Boy, I'm ready to see uh, Mongo versus Gomez on pay-per-view now that I've seen Mongo dominate Gomez on free TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wish I could see this again, but I have to pay for it. <laughs> the Enforcer tries to get a back body drop on Gomez, but Gomez instead kicks him in the chest. Arn tags in Rick as Gomez does one of the worst jobs I've ever seen at selling being too exhausted and beat up to tag out. Flair dumps Gomez to the outside, and as he passes the Renegade, Renegade manages to barely touch his back and thus tag himself into the match. That's right, the hot tag doesn't go to Robert Gibson, who has been working hot tag since the 1970s, but to the Renegade. (laughs) Renegade slingshots himself over the top rope and into the ring as Flair begs off. Renegade gets a back body drop on Flair. Benoit comes in and eats a scoop slam. Mongo doesn't know how hot tags work, so instead of coming in and eating a move, he, like, slaps the turnbuckle, and it's like, oh, darn, my (laughs) team's getting beat. (laughs) Renegade is rolling now with a power slam on Flair. He heads to the top rope on the side of the ring, uh, where he's way too far to actually hit any kind of move on Flair, as things descend into a total clusterfuck. The Rock and Roll Express come in the ring to hold off Arn and Benoit. Mongo drops to the floor and grabs the Halliburton case. He then sneaks up behind the Renegade, who is still on the top rope. Renegade gets tired of waiting for the sneak attack because he looks like an idiot just standing there. Yeah. So he jumps from the top rope uh, before he's... Mongo is supposed to hit him, but instead he just jumps down. So Mongo, in desperation, throws the case at him. It misses him by a mile, but he still sells it. (laughs) So the announcers don't really know what to do. So Bischoff says that... uh, He's giving the he's passing the case for someone else to use and calls it a handoff. Bobby says it wasn't a handoff, it was a fumble. But when he realizes that Renegade is selling it, he calls it the best forward pass he's ever seen. <laughs> Flair locks the figure four on the Renegade, and Randy Anderson calls for the bell as Bischoff tells us that Halliburton's stock just went up today because Mongo he goes he uses so many of them, see? <laughs> so their stock went up because because he's buying all of them. <laughs> right. Right? Get yep. it? Yeah, yep. He then jokes uh, about the case. Uh, oh, he then jokes about that the case Mongo currently has will soon be in a commercial where a gorilla beats on it, the way it looks. And he's referring to an ads uh, for American tourister luggage from the late 1970s, where a gorilla beat the shit out of some luggage. But the point of that commercial was the gorilla got like new luggage and beat the shit out of it. Right. Like the airport always mistreats your stuff. Yep. So it wouldn't make any sense to give his already beat up thing to the gorilla. That's. <laughs> That's just not the joke you're trying to make, Eric. (laughs) He's still a little woozy from that jackknife. Gene Okerlund is on the ramp with the horsemen and the ladies. All right, Eric, first of all, I want to get to you, Steve Mongo McMichael, and I'll talk to everybody here. If Mike Ditka would have seen what you did here tonight, he wouldn't be proud of you. I don't care about Ditka. I don't care about Chicago. This is my team now, baby, and I will do whatever it takes for us to win at every level. All right, Chris Benoit, Arn Anderson, gentlemen, I want to get the two of you in here. Coming up this Sunday in Daytona and also available on pay-per-view 
the two of you are going to be facing the giant and the taskmaster, Jimmy Hart in the corner. If the horsemen win, then one week from tonight, you will face the giant with the WCW heavyweight title on the line. No disqualification, no count out. Uh, it, it is going to be a must-win situation. Sullivan, obviously the voice of experience hasn't spoken loud enough. I just didn't beat you quite enough last time. As for the giant, well, the gold's coming back to where it belongs. Arn Anderson, uh, this man I've never seen, you've got him cranked up. Maybe Sullivan got him cranked up. Who knows who lit the fire in Chris Benoit's belly? But the fact is, we're gonna reap the windfall. The four horsemen are hand-picked and hand-selected. I said when we got back to full strength, heads were gonna roll. You start taking a body count effective right now. That is a pretty strong statement from one of the original horsemen now. Ric Flair, Conan, the U.S. title. It would just be adding to the hardware that belonged to the horsemen. Conan! Whether you like it or you don't like it, brother, the nature boy becomes the U.S. champion one more time. And then, old nasty little devil and old big giant, you got to face Double A and the Crippler. You know what a girl the other night told me about three in the morning? What, what's that? She kissed the Crippler on the cheek. She said, silent but deadly. <laughs> In other words, he runs silent, baby, and he runs deep. And Giant, you want to jump on this with the Taskmaster? then be there, because the party, as we say, will go all night long. Ladies, are, are you going to be in Daytona? I would assume, Elizabeth, you will be there spending money. Absolutely. I wouldn't miss it. You know that. Picking up the limo. Deborah. Sure, definitely. And, you know, again, we have another party next weekend on the yacht. You know, Gene, you had a great time last weekend. Uh, I was a, a, was a, let's not talk about that. Thank you, woman. Me, Gene, you got a Rose, a Bentley, and a Mercedes 600. Circle of the wagons, woo, and hold it all blue. I think I've lost control, woman. He admonishes Mongo by telling him that Mike Ditka would not be proud of him. Mm. I don't care about Ditka. I don't care about Chicago. This is my team now, baby, says Mongo. He is now more over in my eyes than ever. <laughs> <laughs> Benoit issues some threats to the Sullivan and Giant. Arn says that the horsemen will reap the windfall of the fire in Benoit's belly. Yikes. That's a fucking cool line. <laughs> Flair tells Conan that whether he likes it or not, the nature boy will become the United States champion once again. He then warns the nasty little devil and the big giant that they have to face Benoit and Arn. He asks Gene if Gene knows what a girl told him the other night at three in the morning as she kissed the crippler on the cheek. <laughs> Gene can barely hold in his laughter as he asks Flair... What's that? <laughs> silent but deadly is the answer. And he means silent but violent, because that's Benoit's catchphrase. Right. But instead, he says silent but deadly, which is a thing about farts. <laughs> right. And if, and if they're in bed together, it's like giving him a kiss. You farted. <laughs> Gene asks uh, the women if they will be there, and Liz Blandly says, yes, I will not miss it. You know that. Deborah shows a thousand times the personality in the couple of words that she gets. 
Woman hits on Gene as we head to commercial with two minutes left in the show. And they don't say stay tuned or anything. And if I were a fan, I think I would probably have changed the channel thinking that this was over. <laughs> when we come back, Eric and Bobby are at the desk signing off and hyping Sunday's show. None of what they say is too memorable or funny or anything, but suddenly Bischoff halts the conversation as he's getting word in his headset of a disruption in the back. He throws down his headset in anger and runs off. <laughs> Doesn't he say something like really corny? Like, yeah, like oh darn or like, something. Gold, dang it. <laughs> we cut to the back and see about eight cops trying to get Hall and Nash to leave. The outsiders are unimpressed and Nash clowns on the cops for not making as much money as he does. <laughs> the cops demand that they get in their car and Nash says he has to take his time because he has bad knees, which is both <laughs> true and hilarious. <laughs> he tells the cops that they couldn't afford a car like this, the one he and Hall are in, if they all pooled their checks. The outsiders speed off and that's our show. <laughs> in a dark match after the show, Randy Macho Man Savage defeated Ric Flair with special guest referee Bruno Sammartino. So, yeah, so they have their their main event, and then they go back. So Flair goes back for, like, five minutes and then comes out again for another match? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I have to say. Good point. I, I, I just want to get through this, man. <laughs> I'm so tired of talking into a microphone today. In Raw results, WWF champion Shawn Michaels defeated Marty Jannetty, Mankind defeated Duke the Dumpster Drozzy, and Goldust defeated Mark Miro. In the ratings roundup, Nitro did a 3.3. 3. Uh, hour 1 did a 3.0, and Hour 2 did a 3.6. Hmm. Uh, and that was by far good enough to defeat Raw, who pulled a 2.6. So the, oh. the streak that has been started by Nitro as of a few weeks ago continues unabated. Mm-hmm. Uh, in wrestling news, the Ultimate Warrior is on thin ice with the WWF. He missed some house shows. Uh, I got a whole thing here, but since it's WWF, I'm going to summarize it. Basically, he missed some house shows. He said it was because his father died, um, but WWF kind of doesn't believe him because he's never been close to his father. They've been estranged. So they kind of bury him on the house shows. It's unclear if he's going to stay with the company or not. Uh, and they've they've filmed angles with him for the next couple weeks. His Raw is pre-taped a yeah. lot of weeks, and they've already got the next couple weeks figured out. And and like on next the raw that will air next week, uh, he gets beat down by Camp Cornette, and then the week after he gets a comeback. So if they want, they can just not air the comeback the week after, and just the beat down from Camp Cornette would be enough to write him off television. So he says he's planning on continuing. That he's he says he's frustrated, but he wants to stick with WWF, and the ball is kind of in their court. We'll see what happens. But of course, this kind of this uh, problems in their relationship fuels some online speculation that the warrior will in fact be the third man at the bash at the beach yeah so uh, which which Meltzer reports as being impossible because he says if they're going to fire him they'll have the good goddamn sense to wait until after the pay-per-view that's, that's a good point yeah but it, so it's a uh, it's something that's happening within wwf that wwe's just getting a little bit of a benefit from of like oh why don't we just like encourage people to think this is going to happen uh, WCW did their Northern Invasion tour, which we've talked about, where they went through kind of the Northeast through typical WWF hotspots, including New York City. Um, the best kind of two stories from that were that uh, Conan was getting heckled a bunch during his match and got on the mic afterward and like said a bunch of shit about the fans, <laughs> buried the fans, buried ECW. Um, and Sullivan, the heel, got on the mic afterward and totally out of character 
said that he likes ECW and that the views of Conan do not reflect on the views of WCW. <laughs> it's just like that that interview, like warning, uh, the views of the following is not reflected. <laughs> uh, Meltzer also notes some irony in the fans heckling during a New York uh, WCW show because they went there and chanted a bunch of ECW shit. But ECW was running a show about it, uh, like within an hour distance of where that was. Right. And they only drew 400 people. And in the words of Dave Meltzer, quote, it's as if some fans would rather chant ECW to get noticed at a WCW show than actually attend ECW shows when they come to their city. <laughs> that's just, that's so funny. Yeah. It, it's just like, it's, uh, I would say, vintage Meltzer to, to just ooze with sarcasm. Yes. Like, it's almost like they're doing this. <laughs> uh, WCW participated in a recent licensing fair. And one of the wrestlers they brought, for some reason, was Glacier. Okay. Uh, and a funny thing happened where uh, somebody asked one of the Turner execs who was actually working the booth who Glacier was. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, he's one of our most popular stars. <laughs> I should know. I work for the company. <laughs> <laughs> the, okay. So this is, I'm going to quote Meltzer here. This is him kind of speculating about uh, who the third man will be. This is kind of an important moment. This kind of shows what he first reports this information Mm -hmm. the third member of the heel team for the pay-per-view won't be announced until the night of the show speculation is running rampant about who it is i've been told that the deal is finalized last week for whomever it is my feeling is that it's hulk hogan because a reader was working on the set of the movie hogan is doing with roddy piper and said that hogan told piper that he was asked to be the third guy and he was probably going to do it it wouldn't be a disappointment like most mystery partners turn out to be, and it would be the best thing for Hogan's career in some ways, although there is a legit risk that a heel Hulk Hogan won't have the same pay-per-view drawing power of his babyface version, and when a guy gets 25% of the cut, he better have incredible drawing power, or he's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the pro wrestling torch from this week, Wade Keller also reported that the third man is Hulk Hogan after Bret Hart declined to join WCW. But he also says what's strange is despite various insider hints that Hogan was at least at one point the third man, as late as last week they were looking for someone else. That would indicate either Hogan has since backed out of the plan and decided not to turn heel, or they are preparing a plan C, which would go into effect should Hogan change his mind at the last second. Uh, Kevin Nash's son was born on June 13th. This is uh, notable because part, uh, part of the reason he joined WCW was all the money they were offering him and his wife was like, we're about to have a kid, like, go take the money, dum-dum. <laughs> dumb, um, and dumb. this is, of course, the son that he will end up getting in a fight with on Christmas Eve of 2014, which results in both men being arrested for domestic violence. Uh, ECW shows over the weekend featured one of my favorite uh, ECW storylines. I'm not a big ECW expert or anything, but yeah. it's where the uh, Sandman's son turns on him and joins Raven Flock. The kid's like nine. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty funny and uh, a seminal moment in ECW history. Yeah. And that is all the news from the wrestling world. Okay. So, Dave, uh, Nitro this week, we ran through it pretty quick because obviously we're, we're tired of talking about this one. <laughs> right. um, but it was it was a decent go-home show. I didn't have any major issues with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say was your match or segment of the night? Um, hmm, let me see here. I don't. I'm trying to remember what I said. Uh, last time you said it was the the Nash and Hall getting on the live mic and getting kicked out and chanting Attica. 
Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say. Um, I would go with more segment instead of match tonight because none of these matches really. No, none of the wrestling tonight was good. So yeah, I would say anything that's related to the antics of Hall and Ash, um, kind of like they just kind of like I felt like the interest in the show kind of picked up a little bit more once yeah. they came out and it kind of showed what we'll see in the future of them kind of being like um, more, a little bit more playful in like the rule breaking and doing things their way. And, uh, and also I just, I love the, the Attica thing yes. I think is really funny. And another note I was going to mention that uh, for a future reference of the Monday nitros, this is not going to be the last time that Kevin Nash says that while being escorted out of a nitro. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I would say uh segment is just anything with Hall and Nash. I felt like it was a really good way to, to hype up for the pay-per-view. It, it, it is a little bit, weird that they went from like this really intense like the cops might shoot them yeah to to like they're sitting in the front row talking about how big the giant's ass is they so. probably should have reversed the two weeks <laughs> right outsiders should have done this the front row we have a ticket thing last week and the armed standoff with the baseball bats and all that this week yeah yeah that that felt more like the like the that that not the season finale, but the episode before the season finale. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah. So yeah. it it do, it did feel like those those were in reverse, but I don't know. Maybe that it's just like they came up with a really great idea, and then they realized it was probably like a week early for that. But no, I would say Hall and Ash just kind of like, and, and you said before, um, coming off as like cool badasses that everyone wants to be. Yeah. Uh. All right. My match of the night, same thing. Segment of the night, it was the Outsiders. Uh, my MVP, Kevin Nash. He was funny. How about you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Also, Kevin Nash. He was really funny, and like he, he he just shows that he has a natural like a knack for like just really funny humor and yeah. and and like self deprecating about oh my bad knees. I'm the new guy around here, but I'm gonna talk about my bad <laughs> knees. <laughs> All right. Well, I know we kind of rushed through that one. Uh, I hope you'll forgive us. I hope that this episode was <laughs> somewhat enjoyable. But I wanted, like I said, I wanted to make sure to get it out to you as quickly as possible so that we I can really start to get to work on the giant editing product uh, project mm-hmm. that's going to be Bash the Beach, which I hope to have to you later this week. Uh, this episode I'll have to you very soon when I insert the audio clips and try to find one point. There was a point earlier in the show where I sniffed really loud and I was like, shit, now I'm going to have to try to find where that happened because <laughs> nothing annoys me more than when I hear that on other people's shows. So uh, anyway... We will see you very soon, as soon as I edit down that other episode, uh, right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. This is going to make the Normandy invasion look tame. With all due respect to veterans everywhere, meaning no disrespect. In a lot of ways, this is wrestling's version of all-out warfare.